Morrison's vaccine stroll-out could lock down Victoria. The Canberra cover-up culture continues. It's sorry day. And the good news is the Anzac effort to reduce plastic waste. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. That chewing noise you can hear is not Van trying to get out of the shed, (laughs) but it's actually Germanicus gnawing on his own paw. Such is his desire for attention. Van, how are you today? Uh, I'm very tired, as well you know, but I am still blissfully in love with you and totally in love with this dog. Yes, folks, it's been another massive week and Van has rejoined us here in central Victoria from sunny, sunny Wagga. And it is, of course, freezing cold here. And, of course, now we are looking like possibly having some kind of lockdown action in Victoria. Oh, yes. Well, it seems like like old times, really, doesn't it? So in beautiful, cold, wet, windy Victoria, we're also going to be locked inside. I'm just so glad that I've biologically merged with my dress gown already, so I'm prepared for the months ahead. <laughs> yes, folks, and look, I want to also just say that our last episode, we had for our first time ever a sponsorship from Australian Unions, who, of course, continuing to sponsor the show because so successful was that sponsorship that many of you actually went out and joined your union. Which is, like, the best thing ever because you should be members of unions because unions are great. So I'm going to give our sponsor another plug. We all want to see positive change in the world, but where do you start, Van? Where do you start, Ben, you start by joining a union. That's right. That's something we can all do right now. We can drive that change by joining our union. Is there an internet link where we can join unions, Ben? There is. We go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for week on Wednesday. And also, wow. It's like an amazing pun. Because union members are people of action. We don't just talk about what we hope for. We make it happen through strength in numbers. And if there's one thing that epitomises the week on Wednesday, It's Strength in Numbers, one of the (laughs) most downloaded podcasts in Australian news and politics. So please do do get on there and check that out. If you're not a union member, join today. Can I just say how awesome it is to be sponsored by Australian unions? Because as you well know, and we discussed this last week, I I get very ethically tetchy around issues of being paid for things, basically. I don't yeah, like taking money from things <laughs> I don't like and I know that we have to make our project sustainable and all these things and it's just so amazing to be backed in by the union movement because, yeah, I wouldn't take money from an evil corporation as well you know. That's right. We are very, we are very ethical here at The Week on Wednesday. Ben loves it. Oh, he loves loves being in a household that operates on a constant series of boycotts. He loves it. (laughs) So, look, I want to talk about how Morrison's vaccine stroll-out is putting us all now in significant jeopardy of a lockdown here in Victoria. It is a disaster. Like, again... He wanted the vaccine job. He delegated everything to the states because he made a political calculation that that's when things would go wrong and he could turn up with the vaccine and he could be the hero. Well, it's an absolute disaster. It is an embarrassment. It is a disaster how badly this country has managed the vaccine rollout. So let's talk about some numbers here because I think this really puts it into perspective. So uh, Australia is the 101st. So there are roughly 240, say, nation states in the world. We're 101st, which puts us well outside the OECD. OECD, you're talking about maybe 45 big countries. We're one of them normally. Uh, But in this case, we are 101st when it comes to rolling out the vaccine. That puts us beneath basically any country that has the word, the, the, the word Stan at the end of it. We're still beneath them when it comes to rolling out the vaccine. I was amazed to see that we are behind countries like St Kitts. Yeah. Like countries that you forget are... St Kitts and Nevins, thank yeah, you very much. Sorry, sorry <laughs> my apology to any San Kiesian Nevins. I really I don't, I don't even know. No, but I'm, that's terrible. Need, um, if there need, is anybody from that particular part of the world... We clearly need a researcher for this show. Yeah, if you could contact <laughs> us and, and communicate, us know, yeah. it, it, that'd be great. But like we're, we're behind like tiny, tiny... 
tiny nations, nations that have very little infrastructure, nations that have very little money, have managed to actually vaccinate a larger proportion of their population than we do. And, and look, I, I think it's interesting too because it's not just small nations. You can kind of understand to a degree if you're geographically small and perhaps a small population, you can get that proportion number up uh, in some cases. You know, there are some wealthy small nations that you go, oh, well, yeah, Luxembourg, not surprised. They're, yeah, they're just Liechtenstein. Yeah, like, you know, they just all walk past the window and they're done in a day. But, you know, there are countries that are serious countries, like let's say the United States, which on this show we have... <laughs> We have. That's the first time someone's called America a serious country in a while. I think but, I've yeah. called them a failed state, like on almost every episode, <laughs> and every day for and, the entire course of our relationship. Well, to be fair, they've given me due course, but at this point, you've got to say they have fully vaccinated, not one shot, you know, but fully vaccinated 50% of their population. Oh, it's amazing what they've done in the United States. And we're at 2%, Van. It is. It is extraordinary. I mean, we're being beaten by Boris Johnson. Oh my God. The administration of Boris Johnson in the UK I mean, it's, has vaccinated a larger proportion of people than here. You really and let's remember, <laughs> this, is, this is what I find genuinely terrifying, is that the United States has a really mobilised, organised and visible anti-vax movement. Oh, yeah. Like, it's become a tenant of faith on the political hard right, the Trumpists. The Trumpists don't support vaccinations. And yet, despite the fact that there is actually a political disagreement about vaccination in the United States, they've still managed to vaccinate 50% of the population already. I mean, this is what's so amazing, isn't it? Because Morrison has had full political support across the spectrum. Bipartisan political support. I can't even... I I can't think of anybody. I mean, presumably... No serious political players, anyway. Yeah, this is what I mean, serious political players. Because you get your far-right, you know, loons. I I saw a sign that somebody put up yesterday at Flinders Street Station in Melbourne... Uh, This was going around on social media. And you would think yesterday when 10 cases were diagnosed, you you wouldn't see this sort of thing, but there was a sign going, you can say no to vaccines and masks Mm. and QR codes. You can also die of coronavirus. Yeah, so there are those fringe elements out there, right? But they're not part of a serious political party or political movement. They don't have representation. No, I mean, I'd I'd say that there are people who lurk around the fringes of One Nation, but it is a really fringe position here. Yeah. You know, like we're just... We're trying as a people, politically, um, by bipartisanly to get on with it. Like, I'm dying to get vaccinated. I am so excited about getting the coronavirus vaccine. Yeah. And and this is, you know, the example of most people across the political spectrum. I can't think of, you know, any of our Tory friends who would no. turn up their noses at, at prevention from a, a lethal disease. But, yeah, 2% of the population. Like, it's it's embarrassing. And it was really sort of, I noticed at the, towards the end of last week, this growing public discourse about vaccine hesitancy as well, as though you know, not that there was a serious political movement to say we shouldn't get vaccinated, but that the, some people were hesitant, that maybe we didn't need it, that maybe there wasn't uh, coronavirus in the community and therefore they didn't need to have it. And I overheard some people actually um, in a restaurant on Friday talking talking like this and I was stunned, like I was appalled. You know, w- We've had such a benefit here of being able to see what's been happening in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, we've had that six-month lag. And what's been happening in Brazil. Yeah, Absolutely appalling. You know, we've had that... Well, we've had a six-month lag from the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, Brazil failed so badly right from the start Mm. that they completely blew their first window. I mean, our first window of opportunity was really around lockdowns and... Social um, distancing, Social distancing and closing the borders and those things. And we did that pretty well. The hotel quarantine stuff was supposed to be a stopgap, but, you know... But Morrison has dropped the ball there as well. We don't have a federal quarantine system. Despite the fact that it is a federal responsibility under Australian law. Yeah, like, and, under the Constitution. Well, this is the thing. Like what, what everybody said about hotel quarantine was that it wasn't an adequate system. No. 
Like it was never going to be an adequate system because of the way that hotels are designed. Yeah. Like they're not designed to maintain sterile conditions. That's not why one goes to a quarantine and hotel. We've all seen those jokes about blue lighting hotels, right? Like the and the and the talk shows and the current affair going into hotels and looking at how filthy and dirty they are. I mean, how could you possibly think that was a long-term solution for a health health quarantine? But this is the thing. Like we've known this, and the Liberals made you know such a song and dance about hotel quarantine in Victoria and, oh, the hotel quarantine. Okay, so we know all the problems. We know what the problems are with this system. And yet the Victorian government has been demanding for the federal government to back um, dedicated quarantine Mm. facilities. I believe a request went in, what, three weeks ago? Something like that, yeah. Well, they've given them a full plan now. They've asked for funding. Queensland has done something similar, which Morrison publicly um, attacked. He, He attacked the Queensland government's proposal. And to the point where it was supposed to be in this was Queensland's proposal. Mm. Um, he, he sort of mocked it quite mercilessly at a press conference to the point where the Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce came out and said, "Look, we're a serious, we're a serious town, we're a serious city. We've got hospitals and an airport, and you know we do things seriously, and we don't appreciate the idea that you know somehow or another we're not a serious." Uh, place that could ho- could handle uh, a serious thing like a proper quarantine facility. That's really insulting. I've spent some time in Toowoomba and it's not only a serious place. From memory, it's quite a solidly liberal voting electorate. I think turning around and mocking the people that vote for you is... They were quite put out by it, and rightly so, in my view. Oh, look, I can imagine, because this is the thing. Like We know what the problems are now. We did have that window where we watched what was happening in other countries. We do know that the hotels are not quarantine no. facilities. What is What Scott Morrison just wouldn't stay anywhere else apart from the Sofitel. Is that his issue? Well, this, like, is, well, this is now... I now, mean, Toowoomba, the, imagine. Didn't ha- they didn't have to do it anyway. I mean, there was one point where he did uh, some kind of quarantine, I think, at uh, Kirribilli. But, you know, ministers... Oh, how, it must have been hard. There's been oh, stories. Oh, it would have been hard. Yeah. Waterfront Palace, yeah. Oh, they got to wake up in front of the harbour every day. But what we're seeing now is, of course, that the situation in Victoria is from a return traveller who was quarantined at the behest of the South Australian Liberal government in a hotel in Adelaide and has then tested positive for COVID once they have returned to Melbourne after being released from hotel quarantine. You know, hotel quarantine is not a fail-safe process or system. It's not really a quarantine process. No. It's a... It's a, a sequestering process, you could say that. Um, and now, even just as we were starting to record today... It's a bit battlefield medicine. It is, isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? yeah. And, and even as we go uh, to recording today, we've seen that in the regional city of Ballarat, where I am from, someone who returned from overseas, quarantined in a hotel, interstate, has now presented at the Ballarat Base Hospital um, with as tested positive for COVID. So hotel quarantine was never the long-term solution. Uh, Morrison has delayed this whole process. As Facilities still haven't been built. I mean, how long does this go on for? So we've well, now, the world has now been realistically living with the impacts of coronavirus for 14 months. 14 As a pandemic, yeah, yeah. Months, yeah. Like, I mean, it dates from, what, December in 2019. But, but this pandemic experience has been going for more than a year. The demands of the Australian government remain the same. We need dedicated quarantine facilities. We need protections put in staff for people who are working with vulnerable communities. Mm. We need a vaccine rolled out comprehensively as soon as possible. There was an article today saying Australia may not achieve herd immunity because of the slow pace of the vaccine rollout. And I've got to say, Ben, like... I was particularly confronted with uh, just the way that the the vaccine rollout has happened in terms of information and website navigation Mm. and the telephone system. So as it turns out, I fall into a category because I have an inflammatory illness. Yes, Jim, mummy has an inflammatory illness, um, which means that I'm in a a risk group. So I've wasted no time going, right, um, I'm going to sign up Mm. and get the jab. So... The website is incredibly confusing. It's this heaps is the federal and, government website. Yeah, this is yeah. the federal government website. Heaps and heaps and heaps of text. And you sort of have to sort through it to find out. You know, the eligibility test is fine, but finding the eligibility test isn't quite that easy. If you're doing it on your phone, like it's not... 
which is how most Australians now of navigate. Course. Yeah. And then oh. you're told to phone the vaccine hotline and, of course, the vaccine hotline gives you a multiple-choice menu, none of which is book an appointment. Like for, you have to first request information about the vaccine. And it's just things like that. Like it's a fundamental... Um, it's just a, a fundamental communications problem. Like we know, we know where the vaccine testing centres are, but not mm. everybody necessarily knows. Kristen Ferguson, who used to be on the board of the ABC, mm. um, who's a sort of entrepreneurially community organisation type person, who's active on Twitter, said that she, despite the fact she wasn't eligible, she got a jab today mm. because she happened to be walking past a vaccine centre mm. and there was no one there, so she went in and, and well, got a jab. This is this is the thing about no one being there. So yeah. Yesterday, as the news of um, infections were starting to come out around uh, in, in Victoria, there were 15,000 vaccinations conducted yesterday in Victoria. There were 26,000 tests. So it's not even as though we're giving everyone who gets a test a vaccine. Do you know how many vaccinations they did yesterday in China? How many? 20 million. Yeah, no, that's that's more. I'd say that's significantly yeah. more. But, I mean, this is the problem. And just anecdotally, these, these stories about no one being in testing centres, the information is mm. difficult. The, the federal government has not made it easy to get a vaccine. And I, I speculate, this mm. is a speculation, that they didn't think they would have enough doses, so they maybe made the process a little more complicated mm. so people wouldn't be turned away. I don't know, all right? Oh, but oh, well, yeah. I've got to say it is, it's not comprehensive. And the reason why it's particularly upset me is, one, I'm aware of the fact that I have four university degrees in communications, and if I'm strug- struggling with a website, God help anybody who, you know, doesn't English have... English as a second language. Or... has English as a second language or is dyslexic or has issues around literacy or any of the other things yep. that can affect the communication process. Uh, that phone system is bizarre mm. and... Like, I'm just, I'm not, the reason why I'm angry is because I know and you know that millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars has been spent hiring, who have they been hiring, Ben? Private consultants to roll out the vaccine oh, not strategy. Just, not just private consultants, not like, you know, not like Ben Davison Consulting or anything, but... <laughs> But like, oh, yeah, we've already got one sponsor for this show. <laughs> but, you know, McKinsey and KPMG and Deloitte and and these big multinational corporate consultancies. Corporate BMS, yeah. yeah. These are multi-billion dollar corporations. M- multi-billion dollar corporations that tend to turn up to either run things badly or justify evil things. Can I say that? Is that <laughs> well, legally actionable if I say that? No, if I because, phrase it as a question, no, because those, does that mean it's not legally actionable? It can't be defamation if they're a corporation that employs more than 15 people. Oh, well. Uh, that's fantastic to know, yep. Ben. Listen to the week on Wednesday, people. Know who you can and can't legally defame. But I see the words McKinsey, the former employer of everybody's favourite rotor, Angus Taylor. <laughs> that could be actionable. Because <laughs> some people won't, he won't be their favourite rotor. There'll be other rotors who they favour more. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's legally contestable in court to say he's everyone's favourite rotor. So, um, Certainly, McKinsey, my God. So these corporate fat cats Mm. have been given slabs of taxpayer money for a a vaccine rollout, which is a stroll out, Mm. to quote the great Sally McManus, that is not actually delivering on anything like a comparable OECD standard around vaccines. And now we have another outbreak. And, like, I always give you a hard time for being a bit of a doomhead. Ben, by the way, is a bit of a doomhead. And for months, he's been pacing around the house going, there's going to be another outbreak. I know there's going to be winter is coming. And I'm like, you watch too much Game of Thrones, son, it's all going to be fine. (laughs) Um, Well, it's not fine. Winter is here. There is another outbreak in Victoria, the hotel quarantine that we all know was from the beginning not an adequate system is not working. Hotel quarantine in other states is not working. We've all gotten a bit comfortable going, oh, yeah, it'll never come here. I don't know, it'll be fine. Mm. And, of course, now it is here. And Scott Morrison bears the responsibility for this. This and- is his problem. Oh, absolutely. And can I just say, look, you know, hopefully hopefully it, it has plateaued out, right? Hopefully that tomorrow morning we wake up and there are no additional cases in Victoria. But the reality is, if we look at what happened north in the Northern Hemisphere, this, this wave where there is a little bit of vaccine in the community, but not everybody's vaccinated yet, 
where a lot of people's guard is down, where you've had a summer where, hey, look, we're on top of this thing. We're not getting, we're not getting all these outbreaks. Back in the theatre. This is where the Northern Hemisphere really copped it in the pants because this is where... Yeah, well, this is where you cop it's it true. They cop, you, they cop it in the pants. They cop it in the pants, right? Yeah. Because you get Italy, the, Germany, Spain, France, in the pants. Because you get these big spikes because... They and your system get overwhelmed again. And the initial kind of... Um, Fear-driven response, uh, the initial caution, has been put aside by so many people. And and frankly, you know, catching trains around the place and people not wearing masks, people clearly not washing their hands, venues where you're sitting almost one on top of the other. You know, I mean, we've all enjoyed it. To be fair, yeah, we've all enjoyed course. being That's, back together. We've all enjoyed course. hugging again. And I get it, and you get it, and everybody gets it. We want the world to go back to normal. But we, we need to be vaccinated do. for that but to happen. We need to be vaccinated for that that's why that, that's what it's about the, you know god it's not about saying oh we've got to get vaccinated because it's just a precautionary thing no you get vaccinated so that you can have some sense of normality it's like when what do people think happened in the 19th century when there were smallpox outbreaks you know like there'd be a smallpox outbreak people would have to stop associating with each other right that's what happens that's that, how well, it works it, 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 or they just quite, died they died Ben right? like they didn't just stop associating it was like oh I've got to be a smallpox, better stop associating. They literally drop dead. I mean, this is the thing. This is what's so interesting about tense. the 1918 um, Spanish flu yeah. ap- epidemic. That that one of the reasons why it's not really a huge part of the historical memory is because it killed like tens of millions of people. Yeah. Like it absolutely flattened populations. It just wiped out entire families and entire communities whose stories have not been told because no one survived. No one was left to tell them. Anyway, so look, you know, hopefully uh, go get a vaccination. If you can get a vaccination, get a vaccination. Um, And, and, you know, put pressure on the system. Yeah. Like call them and demand an appointment. And let's be really clear. When we say put pressure on the system, the workers who are doing the vaccinations by reports are doing the very best they can. The guy I spoke to on the phone was incredibly helpful. The computer I spoke to on the phone was not helpful. (laughs) It's almost like there's an argument for putting people in charge of communication. It's amazing. And I think this is a real... Uh, just another moment where we say privatisation is privatizing, bad. It just doesn't work. Oh no! The guy who I spoke to was incredibly helpful. He asked me if I was all right and did I have any fears and the whole like he was great. But I've got to say thank you, anonymous person who took my call today. Um, but I've got to say the situation with like the computers, the websites, the comms. Where is the vaccine? Who's getting yeah. what? Like I almost, I think I. <laughs> I'm so crazy. I think I expected things like a community response and local government being deployed to go to homes in the community and explain to people how this was all going to work and that we would actually have a whole of government well, remember, response. Remember the remember the COVID app that the federal government rolled out and how we were all going to end up. How much did we pay for? Uh, the we're COVID still app? paying for it. I think it's millions some, and millions. I think it's like three hundred thousand a month or something. I saw one one the post COVID on social media. App. Oh, like, great! Does nothing. But look, you know, we're all right, Jim. Jim's getting distressed. He thinks we're upset. We're all right. We're all right. <laughs> all right. So, look, there's a lot there to digest. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll go, oh, they were so worried about nothing and, you know, Victoria hasn't had any more cases. Um, but, look, you know, I'd love to be wrong on this, wouldn't you? Like, wouldn't it just be nice to be wrong I've on this? I've got to say, one of my favourite things is when you're wrong is because you are a doomhead. <laughs> So, look, here's, here's something I'm not wrong about, Van, oh, and it's go. a message from our sponsor. <laughs> do we do this with incredible slickness and sophistication? I hope, so. I hope so. I, I, you know, I'd love to have to front one of those cash for comment kind of uh, uh, <laughs> trials. No, you wouldn't. Because it'd be like, hey, really, you couldn't tell it was from our sponsor? I mean, how much less slick Ben, you I don't be? want to front a cash for comment trial. No. That's not a thing that we're putting on the ambition list. Okay, all right, fair enough. Look at our dog's face. <laughs> He's like, Dad, you're an idiot. So, but look, most of us do know that we can achieve more together than we can alone. Yeah, we do. Totally can. 
And what's something... Like the vote for women, that was a good one. That was a good one. One of my ancestors died for that. I know. Really? Did you all know that? If you've seen the suffragette movie, the woman who goes under the horse is one of Ben's relatives. And look, you don't have to go under a horse and be crushed to death. No, you could just join a and union. Yeah, you, you could, could just, literally do yeah. that through a website. No horses or death involved. That's right. You know, because union members have fought for and won things like Medicare, which would have been a great system to use for the uh, vaccine rollout. Uh, superannuation, which is something we need to protect so we have a decent retirement. Leave entitlements. And, of course, we all know that unions have been fighting for pandemic leave throughout the uh, pandemic as and well. And the fact we got JobKeeper at all was because the unions really suggested rather strongly that the government do that. Absolutely. So we know unions have a major role in making Australia a better place today and into the future. So... I'm asking people, if you're listening to this podcast, be part of the future. Be part of making positive change. Be part of the union family. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W <laughs> for week on Wednesday. I love it. We have our own link. That's right. So remember, join your union today and be part of the positive change you want to see in the world so that we can all live the kind of lives we want to live in this country. Uh, please feel free to feedback on how we're dealing with sponsorship as well. Yeah. Like if you'd prefer like a short message, but I like to talk to these things. <laughs> Unionism is of my heart. That's right. That's right. Um, so look, there's some other things we need to talk about because of course it is a parliamentary sitting week and it's Senate estimates oh. and that culture of cover-ups that Penny Wong in Senate (laughs) Estimates Bloodbath. Well, this is the thing, right? We had all of the kind of expose that came out from the Brittany Higgins um, situation. The allegations. The allegations uh, around what happened to her. Uh, And it seemed like um, the Canberra cover-up was being exposed. And now, and then there were three investigations. There was a Phil Gachin's investigation. There was a Prime Minister and Cabinet. He's inv- the head of DPC, is he not? Uh, no, Gachin's. he's the head of the Public Service. So he's the head of the Public Service. I uh, get my departments but mixed then, up. But then William. the Prime Minister and Cabinet um, did their own investigation, which has said uh, there's nothing to see I get here. confused because Gachin's used to work for Morrison. Yeah, he used to be in... He was a staffer, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, well, he was either chief of staff or head of P, um, Prime Minister and Cabinet. Anyway, he he got asked a question in Senate estimates about what it is exactly he's investigating, which claims. Did he say he was going to investigate his investigation? He did. He said he'd have to take it on notice because he didn't want to say something that wasn't right and he needed to be clear about what he was investigating. (laughs) And he'd investigate what it was he was supposed to be investigating, which is one of the most yes minister moments in his recent Australian political history. Is he Bernard or is he Humphrey? That's the question. Is he the love child thereof? Um, And then there's... Another investigation which is also saying that the report was <laughs> secret and so far there's nothing to see. Germanicus, as you can hear, is outraged. This is not how a democracy is supposed to be run. And, of course, the <laughs> Prime Minister of Cabinet investigation <laughs> is, uh, has also tabled the evidence of Brittany Higgins herself without actually telling Brittany Higgins that this would be tabled to Parliament. Yeah, this is disgraceful. You know, let's go back to the question about why don't women report? So whenever, like, allegations around sexual assault are aired publicly, you can observe a chorus in real time, um, unless the the report has been made immediately, that there are people who um, engage in this, this discussion uh, with... Uh, an incredulous air, shall we say, claiming that, you know, well, you know, it couldn't have been that serious if she didn't report it immediately or why didn't she go to the mm. police or why didn't she tell someone? This is why. This is why women do not do these things. Like, this is why women don't um, provide these, uh, you know, depositions immediately mm. Mm. Um, or at all in way too way too many cases because the disrespect shown to you is profound. So the idea that she has written a statement and it has been tabled in Parliament and gone into Hansard and is now searchable on the public record without her consent, without even being told about that, That's why women don't report everybody if you're trying to still get your head around it. That's why women go, there's no point. Uh, It's just going to be worse. Because the experience, unfortunately, is quite 
re-traumatising. It is re-traumatising to tell somebody what has happened to you. It is re-traumatising to have that discussed Mm. without your participation. It is re-traumatising to discuss it. Like, survivors of sexual violence, if they are receiving the best possible care... Spend years in therapy. Mm. Spend years in therapy to rebuild their sense of trust, to rebuild their sense of safety. You know, the, it is incredibly the the violence of sexual assault is not just about what happens to the body; it's what happens to the mind, mm. and and it changes your life. And the idea that an authority could be so cavalier to just drop the statement into the public discourse without even speaking to her, it's just another indication of the depth of the problem. Well, it does It does talk about the fact that Morrison has viewed this consistently as a political problem, you know, not as a not as a human issue, not as a not as a cultural issue, not as an issue that in, impacts people and individuals and their families. Let alone an individual called Brittany Higgins. Yeah, that it's been a, a political problem for him to manage. And when you look at, um, uh, I can't remember uh, uh, the person from the project. Um, her social media feed. Where she was one. Of, she's one of the big supporters of Brittany Higgins right from the start. Very, very clear on this. You know that that these reports, these investigations. You know, from the day one, people have been saying, "Why are there so many different investigations? Why isn't there one consolidated approach to this that looks at it from a real cultural perspective?" and what is it now? They found something like 19 incidents. 19 uh, incidents of sexual misconduct in Parliament House. You know, that's... that's 19. That's an incredible... Um, it's an incredible shock, I think, in a democracy um, for us to have to face up to. And the idea that really what's being done is just a political... Um, well, it's a... I'm not sure it counts as a cover-up, but it certainly feels like a cover-up, doesn't it? It's an obfuscation. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's it's taking something horrifically painful and personal and serious. And so that's one context. It's also the 19 incidents is a systemic problem. Yeah. You know, in... in in the media, we have a saying, you know, like once it's once it's a freak occurrence, twice it's a coincidence, three times it's a pattern. Yeah. Nineteen, I think, we're well into pattern territory there, and I just, you know, the, that's the other level that it operates on. You know, these individuals who are harmed, who experience harm, mm. and then this reveals a systemic problem, and of course, systemic problems require systemic solutions, and then you have. This government, the word I just keep coming back to is cavalier. And I think it's because, you know, it's this notion of a bunch of dandies who can, you know, afford to treat everybody else like garbage, like just offhandedly, just inconsiderately, because they're powerful and we're not. And that's how I'm made to feel. Like, Parliament House is an unsafe place for women. It is Mm. an unsafe place. And the government are refusing to really engage the seriousness of that lack of safety and what that means in terms of how women and the people who care about them feel represented in the broader body politic. Well, I think the the whole process of Senate estimates is showing that up as well, right? Because this week, um, in addition to this obfuscation, as you put it quite quite well, um, we're seeing more obfuscation, right? So Sarah Henderson, people might remember Sarah Henderson, was the defeated uh, Liberal MP for Karangamite. Was Former a- ABC newsreader. Was then a feral Tory. Was then appointed um, to the Senate by the Liberals here in Victoria, who could not live without her. Uh, clearly, and she chairs the uh, like the legal and constitution or something yeah, Senate committee. Uh, anyway, uh, and their part of their job is to scrutinise the Attorney General's department, and of course they've been having Michaela Cash, who I just cannot fathom how Michaela Cash, who 
obfuscated Australian Federal Police investigation, to put it mildly. Who hid behind a whiteboard to avoid question. Who was effectively sacked as uh, Industrial Relations Minister, has now not only got that portfolio back, but is also now Attorney General. There Um, are people who fail upwards. Consistently. And so she was asked by some of the Labor senators on this committee about whether she thinks she's a fit and proper person. Sarah Henderson has shut down that line of questioning. (laughs) Not just this Senate estimates, but the Senate estimates before. It's caused a big blow-up. This seems to be part of the Liberal way of doing things, is to shut things down, take things on notice, push them off, try and avoid any sense of a problem. Um, And it just, it boggles my mind because, I mean, you've got this issue now, you've heard about um, Penny Wong finding out that actually the government is just doing the similar thing with QAnon. Well, this is the thing. So QAnon is one of my specialty interests, given how much time I spend on the internet and um, and <clears throat> my interest in monitoring the far-right and far-right organising. Mm. So Penny Wong uh, has been questioning the government about um, whether there have been security briefings to the Prime Minister about the danger of QAnon because QAnon is an internet conspiracy cult. Um, it has, in some estimations, millions of participants. Mm. These are the people who believe that Hillary Clinton is a blood-drinking pedophile, torturing and eating children to obtain a magical chemical that keeps her youthful and she's joined in this by Tom Hanks and they're doing this under the streets of various cities. And it's, I mean, it is nonsense. It is made up of anti-Semitic tropes Mm. about, you know, underground cabals and blood drinking and elites that control the world. And it's basically just, you know, the the old glorified paranoia about Jews. uh, Repackaged. Repackaged. That's that's what it is, the same old tropes in a brand new format. But, of course, during the pandemic, we've seen an upsurge in conspiracy community activity because people are at home, people are on the internet all the time, people are frightened, and for a long time the algorithms were sort of rewarding people's interest in various things with suggestions that they, you know, you might like this Facebook group that, by the way, has a hidden agenda Mm. about the destruction of all Jews. Um, So QAnon is desperately disturbing. In the United States, QAnon and in Germany as well, QAnon believers have been behind murders, they've been behind kidnappings, they've been behind terrorist incidents. One of them tried to occupy the Hoover Dam. Like, there have been all of these crimes. Um, One of them was trying to bomb an an art exhibition in Chicago that he felt was ungodly. And, you know, this community of... (laughs) I know, look, I know, I know. I mean, really? If we we go down that path, it's like every art exhibition, isn't it? Well, (laughs) so this... This, um, yeah, well, I mean, that's, um, <laughs> someone would argue that's the point. Yeah. Anyway, art history notwithstanding, it's a really dangerous movement. Yeah, it is. It is. I shouldn't it's laugh. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. And, and it's not just in America. It's in 70 countries now. It is in Australia. We know that there are people in a conspiracy community supporting QAnon beliefs. Mm, and we mm. know this because one of them is the Prime Minister Scott Morrison's close personal friend, Tim Stewart, mm. um, whose uh, partner works for Morrison, is on the public payroll and has a security clearance and Tim Stewart has very publicly online celebrated this conspiracy theory and talked about things like how the capital riots were a great were a great day mm. the capital riots in which five people died um, and you know the and QAnon was supporting yeah. this sort of political violence and Penny Wong, of course, asked questions about it um, either uh, last Senate estimates or even before and mm. got no answers mm. about what exactly was the process in giving a security detail to security some clearance. security yeah. um, clearance, sorry, to an associate of the Prime Minister who was also an associate of people publicly identified with the QAnon mm. theory. Like this Tim Stewart guy, there have been a number of articles in Crikey about him and his public published statements in support of what is, you know, like a seriously political and and disturbed sort of campaign. And so Penny Wong was asking questions last night at Senate Estimates about has the Prime Minister been briefed about QAnon? Oh, I'll take that on. Oh, there was a memo. Yeah, someone wrote, I wrote it. Maybe I wrote a memo. And these constant obfuscating answers. And, of course, one of the things that Penny Wong did bring up is that there is a report that 
um, Russian influence operations have been using QAnon and promoting QAnon conspiracy mm. theories in order to drive political division and extremism and destabilise democracy. Uh, not just the Russians. The foreign influence operation that's driving the most QAnon stuff as of the past six months is uh, Chinese-backed influence operations, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Like It's a massive national security issue that this cult of people who think that it's totally legitimate to attack a Capitol building, threaten to hang Mike Pence, you know, commit murders and the rest of it. And you had the public servant who one was questioning go, oh, well, you know, it's not like ISIS. I mean, not not everyone's a murderer. Not everybody in ISIS is a murderer, but we recognise dangerous extremist organisations have an internal ecology that makes things like murders and political violence and, let's say it again, attacking the Capitol building um, possible and functional. So, yeah, I mean, I I just found that particularly disturbing just because I've learned so much about this movement and genuinely terrified by it. And, like, I do recommend people, I might post the video of Penny Wong talking about it because it's really disturbing how this massive national security threat Mm. is not being taken seriously. Dare I suggest, Ben, that it may or may not be because of the Prime Minister's close personal friendship with the person who has been promoting these theories online. But it could also be, and I hate to suggest this, that uh, the overwhelming majority of of QAnon supporters are white. Well, I also think that it goes to the culture of the Morrison government in protecting their mates, putting their interests of themselves and their own political ambition and and their friends' financial ambitions ahead of anything else, right? Like... I would not be surprised if, you know, dare I say it, Morrison goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's just that's just my mate. You know, you can imagine that. You can imagine. You can imagine that. And at the same time, at the same time, you, you can see that the hard right are looking to take over the Liberal Party, right? Like there is a, there is a huge battle going on right now. This is what's going on in New South Wales. In New South Wales. Huge pre-selection fights. There was a big pre-selection fight in Victoria recently as well, um, where Kevin Andrews lost his his seat. Um, They lost pre-selection for a safe Liberal seat because there is an internal battle over what the Liberal Party stands for. Now, they'll always stand for greed and they'll always stand for privatisation. privatisation. Even now when we... Suppressing wages, outsourcing. Well, even now when... Even during the pandemic, businesses, profits are up 14.9%. That's just come out today, by the way. Profits up 14.9%. They still won't advocate for a minimum wage increase. Times are too good for that. Oh, yeah. We have to have wage restraint or we could get inflation, which is amazing because remember when we had low interest rates and they said, oh, well, we've got to practice wage restraint. Do we talk about this every week? How the answer is always wage restraint? But, you know, the QAnon issue... Can't have a tax grab, Ben. Can't have a tax grab either. The QAnon issue is obviously something they can use to to mobilise around, they can organise around. Um, But at the same time, it's a huge national security risk. It's a huge national security risk. I'm sorry, but if... Russia, China, Iran and Saudi Arabia all think that QAnon is an awesome thing to back in in an influence operation. They're not that's it's not good. They're no. not our friends. You know, the the murders and the madness notwithstanding and it is like desperately weird and the, the communities that sort of purport these beliefs you know they're not difficult to access and you'll find a lot of people talking about violence and a Neva armed revolution and it's exactly the kind of thinking that foregrounded the mm. capital riots can we just just one more time five people died yeah. in those riots five people did not come home that day yeah so look we need to move on but it's the the culture of cover-up in Canberra that the Morrison government is leading you know, it goes across so many different issues and so many different topics. We could do, you know, never-ending show on that at the moment. Um, but they're just sort of three of the big things that are happening right now um, around around QAnon, around the, the first law officer of the country. That's uh, Michaela Cash. That's Michaela Cash, believe it or not. And, and around um, <sighs> sexual misconduct in Parliament House. Those are three big ones in, in our view. Um, so keep an eye on those. I also want to acknowledge that Today is Sorry Day. I think we should acknowledge that um, and encourage people to just um, 
Back in Sorry Day. Back in Sorry Day, back in the voice um, to Parliament and that process. Um, treaty process in Victoria. Treaty process in Victoria. Bit of restribu- redistributive justice and yeah. acknowledgement. Absolutely. So our thoughts and solidarity um, with Indigenous Australians today um, and on behalf of... Uh, and every day. And every day. Uh, and on behalf of... Uh, people who did the wrong thing in the past, we are truly sorry. Um, but Van, let's look at some good news because there is a Anzac effort to reduce plastic Oh glass. my God! Oh my God, I'm so excited. I've been wanting to talk about this all show. So yes, people have decided that plastic is a problem. Plastic is a huge problem. Did you know that Australia only recycles 18% of its plastic waste? That's outrageous! It is outrageous. It is absolutely appalling. And of course... Like like most problems, um, the effects are felt by the the uh, most vulnerable and powerless. Oh, of course. Um, by which I mean Pacific Island nations. Pacific Island nations who have been subjected to nuclear testing, who've been subjected to the introduction of diseases, who've been subjected to the most absolutely horrible, awful treatment, and, of course, are bearing the brunt, brunt of climate change, meaning their actual island homes may be sucked into the ocean. Um they also deal with the reality of the plastic waste that's floating about in the ocean. So the really good news is there, there's an organisation which is called ANSPAC. 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 And it's a coalition of companies um, operating in Australia and New Zealand. There are 60 major corporations, um, including Coca-Cola, uh, mm. Nestle, who are hardly my favourite corporation, mm, mm. Um, Woolworths, mm. uh, are working together and working with government departments. They've, 60 companies have signed on to this major initiative mm. and they've given themselves a four-year plan right. to make sure that 25% of uh, plastic in manufacturing is recycled. Great. Um, and they want to reduce plastic packaging by at least 25% in the next four years, Great. which is amazing. But they're also talking about... Um, working together on research around packaging and sharing initiatives so they can come so they can reduce plastic uh, in so so it never mm. becomes water or earth pollution because this is the thing like we don't we don't we didn't really think about where plastic would go um, when we started making it no. and wrapping everything in it and of course there is a huge problem of plastic waste in the ocean in the river system it's getting into the bloodstreams of animals mm. like it's toxic and dangerous and awful and makes me sad as well you know so it's making Germanicus sad yeah yeah, yeah it makes him sad so the the aim is that they want to eliminate all unnecessary plastic waste um, and they want to make sure what remains is recyclable reusable Possible and yeah, and that recycling recycled plastic is part of the process. So it's fantastic, and the idea of a four year plan is incredibly ambitious. Mm. And more of this, please. Yeah, absolutely. I still won't eat Nestle products, but <laughs> I, I will shop at, at Woolworths. Well, that's good I because mean, they have union agreements and pay their stuff properly. Sometimes. Yeah, well, yeah. So there's there's you know swings and roundabouts. You know, we we live in a corporate capitalist society. You know, and, and until that's my bad luck. Uh, and until everybody joins their union and the revolution comes, uh, we will have to work with corporations to improve things. Yes, we can't pretend they're not there. We can't pretend that, on that. especially when they're producing that amount of plastic. Exactly, and pretending they're not there it actually just makes the situation worse because then they're just going to go, "Oh, no one's paying attention. Look at me dump all this stuff in the ocean." Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. Remember all those Keep Australia Beautiful campaigns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember those famous American campaigns about you know put your trash in the bin? Yeah, yeah. Do you know? that was part of a corporate effort to uh, derail attempts to restrict plastic packaging. I did not know that. Because people were like, oh, all this plastic, it's awful. And corporations created a an advertising message was, well, it's all your fault because you didn't put it in the trash. <laughs> because there were actually attempts in the United States about regulating the industrial yep. process for plastic packaging um Production and they derailed it and ran a propaganda campaign. Made it all about your individual actions. Yes. Which, as we know, it's collective actions that have the biggest collective uh, outcome. It's bizarre, that, isn't it? It's, it's almost like systemic problems require systemic solutions. And that corporations will do precisely as much in the service of greed as we let them get away with. So the solution is to regulate, regulate, regulate. And of course, like, l- let's be fair, one of the reasons why corporations are taking action on plastic packaging 
emerging now is because places like the EU are getting very stringent and increasingly so about issues to do with um, waste and waste production. So they're getting ahead of the curve yeah. um, before those regulations come in, which is why we support, like, uh, uh, that's why we support government and the state. A functioning government does things like protect the environment, gets plastic out of the Not ocean. Not protect their mates. Stops <laughs> people from doing bad things, answers questions in Senate estimates, doesn't consult with people from domestic terrorist organisations is, is a big thing, and gets suitably worried when, like, evil people do evil things. So, yeah. you know... Government, I'm in. All right. So, look, that is the week on Wednesday for this week. There, As I said, uh, there was some economic news that dropped while we were recording about profits and wages, which I think I'll cover off a bit more of on the weekend wrap. So check that out. We'll have a bit more time. Ben does his little 15-minute, let me tell you what happens before Monday starts so, thing every Sunday night. So it's can, quite cute. So you can check that out. Now, Van, we're also we're going to Wagga again. We are going to Wagga. Again, I love it there. I 20, love it there. And do you know Michael McCormick is he's the deputy pr- yeah. prime minister, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, he yes, he is always so happy when I'm in Wagga as well. well and yes, my uh, creative arts students from CSU are petitioning to save their course. Actually, Michael, they are, are running a campaign. Um, certainly on my Twitter, you'll see I've been sharing a petition. If you'd like to uh, save um, some creative arts education for kids who live in regional areas, almost as if they deserve the same educational opportunity as rich kids in the city, it'd be great to get your signature. Hi, Michael, hope you're listening. And um, we are going to Wagga because we're participating in this great festival called the Interesting Festival where the festival organisers are just picking things that they find interesting and they think the week on Wednesday is interesting. And Ben and I will be doing a live show um, on June 26th with a live audience where we'll be answering questions about politics and economics and all the stuff that we go on about. So, I will obviously post more details, but we're excited about that. And I'm trying to convince Ben that we should do this at the Melbourne Fringe as well, that we should do a live show. So we'll see how we go in Wagga. Oh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll run a poll on social media to see if our listeners want to... Have you worked it. out how to use the polls on Facebook, Ben? Oh, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Come <laughs> in um, can I just say, uh, the man that I love is sitting with the dog that I love, and they both look so adorable. <laughs> I might even take I a wanna, photo. I want to just also give a shout-out, uh, because we received a really interesting email during the week um, for a, a self-described local grassroots artists who write political and protest music, uh, 4.i.s and the Mr. Question Mark E. Crew. Um, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. We're uh, not cool. We're not cool. We're just not We're not cool. cool, but they they do listen to the show, uh, and they sent us a link to a YouTube track um, that they've got called Grand Theft Liberal, um, which is just it's an amazing it's an amazing piece. It's about trickle down economics, uh, five minutes of your time. And Ben and I are like totally pro like anti neoliberal hip hop. So if, that's if that sounds like you, please send us more. Trickle down, trickle down, double down. It never quite flows, um, and that's me doing a spoken word version. Sorry, sorry there, fellas. Um, but do check it out. And I we'll, mentioned we're not cool. And we'll post links to it as well because uh, it was five minutes of pure, pure enjoyment. Um, so thank you very much. And look, if you've got uh, music, if you've got ideas, if you've got things that you think people should uh, get on board with, do let us know. We can't promote everything. because And we also don't agree with everything. Well, so, that's you know, right. <laughs> we may not. You take your chances. That's right. That's right. But... Um, we do appreciate that the... I've got a creative arts degree and I will weaponise it in the interest of my own taste. We do appreciate that the Week on Wednesday audience is a creative and engaged bunch of people who really do care about the issues, which is also why we want you all to be members of your union. You should totally join a union, Ben. That's a great idea. Big thanks once again to our sponsors, Australian Unions. Are they our sponsors? They are. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for Week on Wednesday. (laughs) to join right now. And don't forget... And people have been. Like, we, we found yeah, out. That tells you people listen, people engage, uh, and we really want to encourage that. So do remember to share the week on Wednesday. Share the links both to this and to the join form. Check out um, the check out the YouTube for Grand Theft Liberal. Uh, do talk to each other. Uh, Stephen Kukulis tweeted the other day that you know fewer than nine percent of Australians are on Twitter, and I said to him, "That's why I need you to personally email everyone you know with the link to the week on Wednesday." <laughs> 
he was he was kind enough to like that comment. Um, hopefully, if you're a friend of Stephen Kukulis, you received an email. <laughs> If you didn't, let me know. Um, but again, let your friends, family, co-workers know. The week on Wednesday... Trolling, trolling progressive economists to promote our no, show. Wasn't, no, it wasn't trolling. That's so niche. No, so niche. No. But once again, thank you everyone for your support of the show and for the support of our sponsors. Um, we continue to be amazed and really um, just flattered really that people continue to listen in such large numbers. We continue to chart very well. Um, and thank you for being part of our success. It really means a lot to us. That's the show for this week. Love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.